Blog Talk Radio. Everyone and welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I'm just really happy to welcome the callers and the chatters to the show. This show will provide individuals that are interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Now, if you have logged in as a guest, and I do see some guests, oh, quite a few guests in the chat room tonight, and you wish to participate in the chat, just go ahead on and sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. Well, I have a question for you. Have you ever found letters? written a long time ago and threw them away? Well, if you didn't throw them away, I certainly hope that this show will inspire you to share those stories with others. Letters from Edgar's Trunk is a fascinating account of black civilian life in rural Virginia during World War I as reflected in letters between James Edgar Thornton, his family, and friends. This collection of letters not only captures the vibrations of everyday black life during wartime, but also discloses the continuing reality of civilian existence in America in contrast to the terror of war in Europe. Marilyn Thornton, the special guest for tonight and author of Eckers Trunk, holds a master's degree in fine arts from Catholic University of America, and she was assistant professor for art at the University of Eastern Shore. Her interest in family history and discovery of Eggers' letters motivated her to compile letters from Eggers' Trunk. So let me give a warm welcome to Marilyn Thornton to Research at the National Archives and Beyond, Blog Talk Radio. Marilyn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Bernice, for having me. Well, I just am just so excited about reading this book. And as I told you, it inspired me. So why don't we just go on and you take us on this journey. Mm-hmm. Let's begin with your discovery of those World War I letters. When did you find them and where were they located? 
Okay. Um, I'm going to make a very long story short. Um, I have always been the keeper of things for my family. Um, my father came from a family of 14, very close family, and his brothers and sisters invariably would, because my background was in fine arts, would always ask me to keep things, to hold on to a piece of memorabilia, uh, photographs, um, coins occasionally, and so I became the keeper of things. My father died in 2003. Before he died, he asked me to go to his sister's house to look in his father's trunk. He said there were a lot of old things I needed to see. Well, I didn't do it right away. I put things off, and because I was working, I didn't get to look in the trunk until a long time after that. Way before that, one of his sisters, whom we called Maggie, had asked me to draw up, and she literally meant draw up a family tree. I didn't get to do that either, but she gave me the names of her aunts and uncles, and she said she was named after her grandmother, Margaret Clemens Thornton, a name I had never heard. I wrote those names down on a little slip of paper. I put them in a book on my bookshelf where they sat for almost 30 years. My aunt died in December of 2003. When the house that one of his sisters lived in was about to be sold, I finally got to look in Edgar's trunk. This was around 2006. That's when I found the letters, tied up in an old silk scarf. I knew immediately how important they were. I had seen stories on TV and read stories in the newspaper about people who find one letter. I had found about 124 letters. So I knew how important they were, and I knew I had to take care of them, and that was my first assignment. Wow, 124 letters. What was your reaction when you saw those letters? It scared me because... um, (laughs) I knew that I had to um I had to be the keeper of these letters. I had to take care of them. They were very fragile. Um some of them had been um taken out of the envelopes. In fact, unfortunately, about a dozen of them had been destroyed. And you can imagine these letters had been sitting around in the trunk for 100 years. These letters That's are dated right. from 1914 to roughly 1924. So um, I had to marry some of them with the envelopes, and all of that took time. That was the first thing I did. I I bought a small photocopy machine. I I photographed all of the letters and the envelopes. All of them have one and two cent stamps on them. And I, I decided the most important thing to do initially was take care of the letters, even before I read them. After Uh I went to buy archival material, I purchased glassine paper and archival boxes and envelopes, and after I was assured that the letters were okay, I stored them in my safe deposit box, and then I read the photocopies. Um, Uh Oh, okay. So I worked primarily from the photocopies, and the thing that was so fascinating to me about these letters were 
um, essentially they told the story of a journey taken. My grandfather was drafted during World War One. His brother Robert and his brother-in-law Albert Bushrod were also called into military service. So conscription connected the entire family with the military. Uh-huh. My grandfather left Ashburn in October of 1917. He trained at Camp Lee in Petersburg, Virginia, and that's when the letters started to uh, go back and forth to his family. Eventually, he sailed to France on a, on a ship called the Tsar, and he saved his boarding card, and that was also in the trunk along with the letters. Um let me see. There's so much to tell. Um, but the this regiment. is just fascinating. Yeah, just to think that he saved that that boarding card, yeah, and that's an image that you put in the book. I put it in the book. On the back of the card, Bernice, it says, keep this card. So the card was kept for oh, 99 wow. years. <laughs> so oh, um, I have Jeez. the card framed now, and, and that started some of my most important research because I went to the National Archives to try to find a picture of the czar. I could not Mm -hmm. find a picture. I went to the Library of Congress, and the librarian at the Library of Congress told me that the copyright laws were not passed until 1923. Uh, There's a picture of the ship on the Internet, and she said, well, you can probably use this picture and she gave me the language that I could use to uh, to cover if I if I ever wanted to publish this picture, and um, I didn't want to do that. So as it turned out, um, I did find a picture of the ship um, serendipitously. Actually, I found it in a um, at a um, an estate sale. I looked. I went into the estate sale looked up on a man's bookshelf, and here was a book called Ships of Our Ancestors. And I opened it to page 71, and there was a picture of the czar. So that's just one piece of information that has helped um, steer me in the right direction in publishing this book. I knew I would get discouraged at, at different points in time, but I knew how important this was. And I had already... Um, discovered that one of the most important things that archivists try to do is connect with their families. And I felt Mm -hmm. that my family was really um, blessed to be able to know what these people were really like. You know, we spend hours and hours in archival repositories, and sometimes the only thing we come up with are dates and times or occupations. And Mm -hmm. I had the good fortune to find out what my grandfather and some of his relatives were like. Not only to find that information out, but to have written and things that they had written. And I might add that when I found the letters, Bernice, I thought they were also important. It was an entire collection, but this collection was written by poor black people. The people uh-huh. who wrote the letters, and they wrote phonetically, um, Largely, you don't. People have told me that you don't find collections like this very often because if we did write, um, as I said, people sometimes find one or two letters. But but this was an entire family collection. Um, interestingly enough, somehow my grandfather brought his letters home. My grandmother saved her letters, and other family letters, other family members gave them 
their letters. So all of these letters were in the trunk and had stayed around for a hundred years for me to find and for what I wanted was other people to read as well. Right, and there's a question coming out of the chat. They just want to know whether any of Eggers' 12 or was it 14 children read all of the letters before? I don't know. I don't think so. His, um, there are only two um, living children remaining, and neither one of those children had read the letters. So um, I doubt very seriously whether my father had read the letters I think these letters were unique. I think these letters were just stuck in that trunk and wrapped up and somehow escaped. I think somebody had obviously seen some of them, but I don't think the family members had read had read this story, which was why mm-hmm. it was so important for me to tell and to share. Well, tell us, I mean, first of all, were there any photos in any of the letters? There were no photos in the letters. There were photos in the trunk. In fact, the trunk had um, a variety of things, school report cards, immunization certificates. During World War II, there were food stamps um, during the food rationing um, uh, period, and um, those stamps were in in the trunk. But there were photos in the trunk, but they were not in the letters. Um, There Mm -hmm. were two postcards that my grandfather had sent from France, and uh, those were in the trunk as well. But for the most part, the letters were uh, what gave me all of the information that I um, uh, put in the book. I might add, I did not, my, my part of this book was doing research. I researched things they talked about. They talked Mm -hmm. about gardening. They talked about raising farm animals. They talked about births and deaths and weather conditions. They lived through the 1918 pandemic. They, They didn't know it was a pandemic. They said people were sick and dying, but they didn't obviously know this was pandemic. One, one interesting thing, very often they would say, for example, in November, we're having knee deep snows up here. And I only found out what a knee-deep snow was this past January. So the weather patterns have changed over the since these letters were written. Um, mm-hmm. and, now, how uh, frequently did he get these letters, and did he send letters? He sent letters. Uh, in fact, um, he told everybody to write. You know, frequently at the end of every letter, he would say, write to me. And I imagine that his experience in that regard wasn't all that different from soldiers who are in the Army now. Um, Mostly they want to hear from home. And, of course, now what we have is instantaneous communication through the Internet and emails. But these letters took sometimes um, weeks to come back and forth. He was in he was in France for nine months, but mm-hmm. he was in he trained at Camp Lee in Petersburg uh for the most part and he was there for a very long time before he shipped out from Camp Moret in New Jersey. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I need to really tell you. Well uh, what oh, was his unit? 
his unit was mm-hmm. he was with the 369th regiment 93rd division and um you know there there are four or five really wonderful books that have been written about the regiment and this is not a book about the regiment Edgar um I I did have an opportunity to meet um Dr. Sammons, who wrote Harlem's Rattlers, he's a professor at New York University, and um, wonderful book. Um, and his book is about main characters in main um, people who were with the 369th, who became heroes, so to speak. My grandfather uh-huh. was with the Depot Brigade, Brigade, and um, there is a report at the National Archives. Two in College Park, Maryland, written by um, William Hayward, who was commander of the 369th, and the report provides says that the Depot Brigade provided valuable services as ammunition carriers for the artillery, and they suffered numerous casualties. So apparently, what Edgar did was run ammunition to people on the front lines which was a dangerous thing to do. Very dangerous, yes. And fortunately for our family, he didn't die over there, or I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, when I'm thinking about these letters and what people may do if they find letters today, they may just throw them away. I mean, clean out the house and throw the letters away and not think anything of it. Yet... The family felt that these letters were so valuable, but so they remained in that trunk. No one decided to get rid of the trunk, which is very interesting. Well, um, and I'm glad because I think when people, you know, I've talked to several people who've read the book already. In fact, I had a bookmark designed with my email address on it. And the best compliment that I have ever gotten from people is when they say, I couldn't put it down. And these are yeah. people who didn't know my family. Uh, a couple mm-hmm. of church, a couple of members at my church have read the book. And the, the thing about the people who wrote these letters is that they're probably like people in your family and, and other people's families. They're very normal. <laughs> they write about everyday things. <laughs> they write about uh-huh. everyday things, and they're real people. I would call this reality reading, um, and um, that's that's all I can say. If you if you start to read these letters, you sort of get to know um, what the people who wrote the letters were really like. For example, uh-huh. what I learned about my grandfather was that he was not a fair-weather friend. He was popular. He was well-liked. His friends wrote to him, expressed their feelings, and he wrote back. The word candid comes to mind. He was a little impatient, and he liked things done his way because he was smart and he was naturally intelligent. Secondly, he was a very compassionate man. Obviously, he cared about his family, but he also cared about his dog and his horse, asking okay. about them asking about them frequently. He was concerned about his wife's garden and her chickens and her pigs. When his brother-in-law's horse died, Edgar wrote to express his sympathy, saying he knew how much Peachy probably missed Prince. 
which was the name of the horse that died. What a historical Mm -hmm. gem that is. I mean, that says something about the man. Third, he cherished his wife. He unabashedly, on many occasions, expressed his feelings for Sarah. In one letter saying he couldn't wait to get home to hold her hand and kiss her sweet lips, and a lot of men oh. don't say things like that today. Oh, how sweet. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know something about this man, and he was a family man. While he was very social, he often told Sarah that he would have preferred to stay home with her and his children instead of going out somewhere. And the mm-hmm. list goes on. I mean, for each one of these writers, I learned something about who they were and what they thought about and and things that make a person distinctive and mm-hmm. when you can find that about find those kinds of things about an ancestor or somebody you you will never have an opportunity to know it's it's just valuable yes it is valuable and then you're that time period that you listed between 1914 and 1924 That was a really long period of time to get a good idea of what was going on in the family, in the community, and specifically with Ecker. So you you just have a a, a large range uh, to to deal with and to gain additional information. Well, what was the general uh, style of the of the letters? If if you could just tell us how how did they express themselves? They wrote, as I said, they wrote phonetically. They wrote okay. like they wrote, wrote words like they sounded. Most of these people were had third, second, third, fourth grade educations, if that much. You remember, mm-hmm. this is one generation up from slavery. There is a letter That's in right. the book from my great grandfather. His name was Washington Thornton. They called him Tide. And um, he struggled to write this letter. In fact, he wrote Edgar. He said, I can't write much. It gives me a headache. And Mm -hmm. so, oh, there was another letter, and I want to mention this because this was an important connection. One of the things I wanted to do was make sure, because they mentioned so many people um, in that community. When he wrote home, he would ask how um, this person was and how that person, somebody else was doing. And there's a letter uh, written by a man named Harvey Gaskins to my grandfather. He was obviously older than my grandfather, but recently um, I spoke at Oatland's Plantation, had a book table there, and I met a young woman who I had never met in my life. She bought my book, and she looked in the index, and she said her her great-grandfather was named Harvey Gaskins. I said, could this be the same person? Well, she sent me an email, and it was. Um, so wow. Harvey Gask- yeah, Harvey Gaskins gave Edgar Sage advice. He told him to mind his company commander, not to be hot-headed, and most importantly, he told him to pray. And a lot of there was a lot of talk and discussion of prayer throughout these letters. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, there's one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh, early on, I told you the story of how I found the letters and how I felt badly that I had not looked in the trunk when my father asked me to do so. So I dedicated the book to my father and my aunt, who asked me to draw up the family tree. But I also dedicated the book to three people who I had never, who I didn't know, 
and their names are Ernest Gilbert, Valentine Johnson, and Samuel C. Thornton. These are three young black men who died in service to America during World War I, and their names appear in Leesburg um, on the courthouse monument, and their names are listed at the bottom of the monument. There are about 50 names on the monument, and these names are at the bottom, and I think you know why. Um, unfortunately, in seeming to honor their dedication and their having died in service to America, they were dishonored. Mm-hmm. Well, it is wonderful that you would honor them and dedicate the book to them as well as to your your family. Now, Marilyn, um, there some questions coming out of the chat, and one of the questions uh, is asking if you could share more about how the content of the letters enrich your cluster genealogy research. Okay. Most people start out um, finding their ancestors um, as part of their research. I found out who some of my my ancestors were by accident. So that was my starting point. Um, mm-hmm. I have published the book, and my research now will never end because I'm going backward. My paternal, uh, Edgar's mother, um, was born free in 1861. I had been looking for slaves. I went to Oatlands Plantation in Leesburg, Virginia, and could not make a connection. I saw her name in the 1860 census, and I said, uh-huh. well, what, she, what is she doing in the census? Because they didn't talk to, as you know, Bernice, the slaves, the um, uh, slaves until 1870. And it said uh-huh. FF, that meant free female. So uh-huh. I have traced her family back to 1760. And that is where my research is going. It's going backward, starting with these people who I found in the book. And I am researching, as you know, I meet with our research group every Monday. And that is the direction that that my research is going. I'm looking for, um, I'm looking, looking for my, my ancestry. I'm looking for my roots. And I have not started the DNA process yet. But um, I am as busy as ever trying to do what most um, people who are interested in genealogy do. We're trying to find our roots. Right, right. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break and then come back and continue. And when you come back, I want you to read some of those letters to us, some of your favorite letters. So just a quick break, everyone, short promo, and we'll be right back. Have you thought about a genealogy institute to learn the right way to conduct research on black family history or genealogy? Are you stuck in where to go next for your own research or for a client? If so, then Maggie, the Teaching Institute, is for you. Maggie, M-A-A-G-I, is the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute, now in its fourth year, and this year will unfold in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Maggie is the only multiple-track institute for African-American genealogy methods. From July 12th to the 14th, 
Maggie will take place at the Genealogy Center in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Join the faculty and your colleagues for the Maggie experience that can change the trajectory of your work. That's Maggie, the Teaching Institute. For more information, visit the website at maagiinstitute.org. Okay, and registration for Maggie will end on June 30th. So if you are interested in becoming a part of this wonderful institute, please register by June 30th. So I'd like to welcome everyone back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. I want you to remember that all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast, and I have about 244 podcasts immediately after the broadcast, and you can download them from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Now, you have been listening to Marilyn Thornton share letters from Eggers Trunk. And so, Marilyn, please go over, share with us some of what you would consider your favorite letters. Okay. Um, the first letter I'm going to share with you, uh, Bernice, was written August 30th, 1918, from Ashburn, and it was written to Edgar by his um, niece. His oldest daughter, his oldest sister's daughter, was named Clarine. So the letter came from Clarine Payne to James Edgar Thornton, and it's postmarked August 30, 1918. And it says, "Dear my dear Uncle Edgar, just a few lines to let you hear from me. I am well so far, and true hope you are the same. When did you see Uncle Robert? How was he when you saw him?" Grandmother is well, and all the little ones, and Aunt Sarah. When you see Robert, you please give him my love and tell him to be a good man and look to the Lord to hope him, and you also. The dog is fat as a butterball. Mother was down home yesterday, and I have not seen the horse, as I cannot tell you nothing about her. Uncle Edgar, my birthday was the 14th. I was 13 years old. Well, I must hurry up and get to the mailbox. It is almost mail time. I must close these few lines with much love, you and Robert. Goodbye from Clarine Payne to Mr. James E. Thornton in France. Oh, how sweet. And it was a 13-year-old that wrote that. Um, yes, she was 14, so uh, 14. she had just had a birthday, and which was important for her family. The Paynes are... Um, Maud's pa- family is still around, so this letter. I might add that um, Bernice, um, the Smithsonian's National Postal Museum has selected several of these letters to be a part of an exhibition which will commemorate the anniversary of World War One. It's oh, going to be wonderful! Congratulations! In, in April 1917, 
and this is one of the letters that they selected. So um, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, share with us another one. Okay. The second letter was written on October 30th, 1917, postmark Leesburg, Virginia, and Edgar had just left home. Um, He lived in Ashburn, as I said, and he had just left Ashburn to go to Leesburg that he and his brother were going to leave leave from Leesburg to go to Camp Lee. So he's essentially writing a letter to Sarah to let her know, his wife, to let her know that he's okay. My dear, I will write you a line to let you hear from me. I am well, and I hope you all are the same. I have I have spent the best part of the night in Leesburg at Hall. Now the Hall, according to my research, was called was um, part of First Baptist Church of Leesburg. It's where they had a lot of uh-huh. social activities. So he uh-huh. says, I spent the best part of the night at Hall, and I enjoy myself very much. I am now at Maud's. Maud is his sister. We leave here tomorrow at 9 o'clock. I will write more the next time. Give my love to all and take good care of the children and yourself and also Belle and Jack. Belle and Jack are the horse and the dog. (laughs) Don't, Don't write until you hear from me again. I will write again as soon as I reach the camp if I am not too tired. Well... I must say good night, for it is after 2 o'clock, and I am getting sleepy. We had oysters give to us at the hall, but you know I did not enjoy them. We were at the church and had a very nice service. I must say good night. I will write more the next time. Much love to all. And this pretty much told me a lot of information. What he said was, Papa is with us tonight. Good night from Edgar. Papa was um, born in 1861, the year the Civil War started. So here you have Edgar, his brother, his older sister, and Papa. Now, Papa, these people probably didn't have a radio. They knew what war was, um, and Papa might have thought he would never see his children again. So here is my great-grandfather with his two sons, and his sister, and so they're huddled in, and she couldn't have had a big house. So when I read Papa is with us tonight, it tells you something about these people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they loved each other, and I can't say enough about that because that comes through over and over in these letters. Yes, I, I love it. I love it. Gee, I could imagine your reaction when you sat down and started reading them. Did you read them all at once, or...? Tell us how no, to go took, through them. I had to transcribe the letters. Bernice, the letters are written um, all in pencil on 5 by 7 mostly 5 by 7 um, size paper. And uh, in one letter Edgar wrote, um, he, told Ed, to, he told his wife to try to find a pen. He said the letters are smeared and I can hardly, hardly read them. Well, my thought was, well, what would he think I'm, I'm going through <laughs> trying to read them 100 <laughs> years later? 
so, Mm -hmm. but no, it took a long time to transcribe the letters to try to decipher what was in them. In fact, at some parts of the book, I had to put illegible because I couldn't make out some of the some of the words. But the mm-hmm. meaning comes through very clearly, um, and that was what I found important. As I said, what what I have here is it's a story of a journey taken, and that's what makes this unique. If he had not received a draft notice, he would never have left Ashburn, Virginia. And this story would never have been told. Um, in fact, he ur- he urged people over and over, please write, please write. And pretty much everybody tried. You know, they tried. They wrote what they could and h- and how they could. And um, the information came through clearly with feeling. So that's mm-hmm. the um, that's the positive thing about what's in this book. Right, and not only that, but you. You did. You mentioned that the others that received letters then gave those letters back to the family. Is, is, Somehow, is that what well, you observed? Uh-huh. well, what what I found when I found the letters, all these letters were together. So I assume that Edgar brought his letters home. Sarah had her letters from him. He lived with um, Sarah when he went to the service. Uh, his sister, her sister, and her husband lived with Sarah. They had. He left five children here. Um, he left five children in Ashburn when he went. So um, you know, they all took care of these children. They lived together. They worked the garden, and um, I assume that that's how some of the letters were. Why some of the letters were there all together. But um, I'm glad they are, because otherwise I would never have had as much of a complete picture as I do. And um, it's it's been a, a real. It took me six years to do this. Uh, oh, from the time okay. I found the letters, in uh, as I said, saving them, um, archiving them, um, figuring up writing. Um, putting the letters together, and then doing the research. I researched everything they talked about. There was a, a shooting at one point, um, so I wanted to know what happened to the person who had gotten shot. There were so many different things that had gone on that they talked about, and that's how I spent my time going back and forth to the courthouse in Leesburg where the archival office is located, to the Thomas Balsh Library, to the um, library in Richmond looking for birth and death certificates because I didn't know what had happened to a lot of these people. And um, everything that was in the letters is pretty much in its original format. The original Mm -hmm. spelling was retained. Uh, Punctuation um, is like, uh, was contained only where they put it. Mistakes and rethought phrases, strikethroughs, were left as the authors put it. I didn't change any content of the letters, but I did research the things that they talked about. And for the sake of uniformity, I set the author's location and the date and time uh, and the date and postmarks of the letters. So they're Mm -hmm. in order. And in the back of the book, um, I have photographs and illustrative material. And there is an afterword to let people know what happened to this family. Um, 
they, uh, as I said, he did not die in France. Uh, several people did, but he came back home, and immediately uh, when he got back home, he joined church, which was interesting, and he was baptized in the local creek. So um, I guess that tells you something about the effect the war had on him. Um, throughout the... Well, uh, yeah, there's a comment. Somebody has posted a comment, and I didn't want to stop you from finishing your thoughts, so go ahead on and finish your thought, and I'll share with you a comment that has just come through. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was talking about what had happened to these family members, and to give um, an indication of of different um, what happened to the different family members? Two of Edgar's adult sons predeceased him. One was hit by lightning, and one drowned. So his li- his life was not without um, problems. Um, mm-hmm. But go ahead. I would like to hear the comment. Well, the comment is that it was smart of of you to copy the letters and the work from the copies. It would be awful to damage or lose the originals while working from them. Exactly, and um, I pretty much knew that from the very beginning because I had um, because my background was in fine arts. You know, it seems, um, uh, Bernice, everything I had ever done up to this point um, led me to be the person who could who could handle this, and so mm-hmm. I think that it was not a mistake that I was the the one who found these letters. Um, I knew, as I said, immediately when I found them how important they were and they had to be conserved. And that was my um, my primary assignment. That was the first thing I know, knew I needed to do. And um, I did work from the copies, and um, it was a task. At time, I, at, there were times when I started to get discouraged because it was massive uh, trying to do all of this work, but every time I seemingly got away from it, I was pulled back. And to give you an example of that, um, I sold my car at one point because it was a lemon, and the tags for my new car came, and the first two letters on the tags were E-D, Ed. So (laughs) (laughs) one of my cousins That was a message, huh? Yeah, that was a message. And one of my cousins said, how did you get that tag? And I said, I didn't do that. So in any case, I think this was meant for me to do. Um, And there's an old saying, the ancestors speak to us, and I think that I was certainly spoken to. And Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed this thoroughly, and um, I hope people that buy this book enjoy it. As I said, one of the best comments people have made to me is I couldn't put it down. Yes, um, yes. um, Well, I just have one question, though. When you found those letters, did publishing the letters, was that a thought in your head when you found them? No, no, that did not. I, my, I used to call this my project. In fact, that was the title I put in the computer. I was working on a, this was my project. I knew it was something that I needed to do. And the, the idea of publishing this, because I'm not a writer, um, I'm a, um, a visual artist. It was almost like a, doing a work of art for me, in a way, um, and um, that's how I thought of it. it. Was something I was working on, 
and it was an epistolary work of art, if I can call it that for me. Um, I um, had no thoughts of publishing a book, but I knew that I had to do something with these. I knew I had to save them. I knew I had to share them. That was very important. And then I might also say I had some concern that perhaps my family might object to my publishing these letters. People have, you know, a lot of different ideas, but I did not encounter any objection at all. In fact, my uncle, um, the two living children, two, the two children that are um, Edgar's remaining uh, children, are pleased about this, very pleased with this. So that made me happy. But um, And I was happy towards, you know, after I got to the point that I knew what I was going to do, and having decided to do it, I was happy with the result. Um, it, it was hard, but it was worth it. Well, you also have someone in the chat room who definitely appreciates what you have done, and her name is Beverly, and she's your cousin, and she said mm-hmm. that you mentioned uh, her aunt Shireen and grandmother Maud, Edgar's sister. Mm-hmm. So she just wanted you to know how much she appreciates all of your hard work and putting that book together for the family. And I love her very much. Beverly is Maud's granddaughter. And uh, Mm -hmm. by the way, Maud's youngest son, in the afterward, I started to talk about this a little bit, Maud Maud had three children, and uh, her youngest son, Charles Marcellus Payne, who is... um, Beverly's father, uh, Charles Marcellus Payne, was a truck driver during World War One, during World War Two, and I had occasion to interview him because I wanted to ask him some questions before he died two years ago, and um, he landed on Normandy Beach, and you just never know what people have done. We we happened to be talking. And I said, what did you do in the service? And he said, you know, we landed on Normandy Beach. And I said, you did <laughs> on D-Day. Wow. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's in the afterword. And there's so many things. Um, one of my um, great uncle's sons was killed in a, in a um, racially related shooting. And um, all three of the person the people who were charged with his murder were found not guilty. So, you know, the more things change, the more um, they stay the same. And You're so that right is about in the afterword. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, if you have any advice, uh, would you like to share any advice with others that may find letters or even those who've thrown away letters or those people who will start seeking out letters? What kind of advice would you give them? as to what they should do with those letters. I think first they, they need to share the letters. These letters were unique in that it was a collection, and um, it told a story. Um, this was a story of, of Edgar's having gone on this journey, um, stayed safe, came back home, and um, I was able to tell people what the results of that what results of that journey uh, were, and um, but I think people need to share whatever we come up with, Bernice. And you and I know how important this this genealogy search that we're doing is for us, especially. You, we have to share this. I had a very good friend, a woman I met um, 
doing research, and she she had researched her entire family history, and um, she fell down the steps and and hit her head, and she didn't live. So um, her research is still there, and somebody in her family is continuing to work on it. But it's very important for us to um, to find to, to to have a vehicle for sharing, which is one of the reasons I did decide to publish this book because I had gotten to a point where I could have kept going, but my sister died in 2013, and I realized how fragile life is. We never mm-hmm. know how long we're going to be here, and this is something that we need to share, obviously. Um, and so I would advise people who have letters to find some way to, to share them. Um, and I don't know what that could be, whether it would be in you know a book, and it doesn't have to be a fancy book. Uh, or a book you pay a lot to have published, um, it can be. You can find a way to share this information that we're coming up with. Mm-hmm. Well, that's wonderful advice, and definitely sharing is is what it's all about. You're not doing this just for yourself, but exactly. it's something that certainly would inspire others, inform others, and and it just keeps the memory alive because you have it. Uh, I have a comment coming about out that uh, someone has grandfather's photos of his army buddies. Uh, it, it's worth sharing. And so that's something that I'm so glad to hear you say that and those that are listening to this show tonight. It's all about sharing. It's all about telling the story. And what you have found in those letters, you have found stories, wonderful family stories that you said you could see the love of the family and, of course, his love of his dog and his horse. So I want to thank you so much for joining the show tonight, Marilyn, for inspiring us. And I just want to encourage everyone to pick up a copy of Letters from Edgar's Trunk. Tell them all to write by Marilyn Elizabeth Thornton. And also, everyone, remember, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and the AfroGenius.com Facebook pages. And don't forget to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton-Raji on Friday. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by me, Bernice Beebe's Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC. And my website is www.geniebroots.com. By the way, if you're heading to the Essence Festival next week in New Orleans, look for me at 3 o'clock at the Walmart stage, and I will be discussing genealogy with host Roland Martin and two other guests. So join me next week. I would love to meet you. That's July 1st in New Orleans. 
So this is your host. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Good night, everyone, and thank you so much, Marilyn. Good night. Good night.